Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. It's McDaniel versus Dylan for the soul of the RNC. Bannon and his friends attempt to form a modern church committee, and anavaxa rhetoric results in new outbreaks of eradicated diseases. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe to the newsletter at didnothingwrongpod.com. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, please give us a five-star rating. We've got a great show for you today. Thanks for joining us. The artist formerly known as Rana Romney McDaniel was Trump's handpicked choice to run the RNC in 2016. And after she got that job, she no longer found it convenient to be the niece of Mitt Romney. She's been known simply as Rana McDaniel ever since. Now she's found herself on the wrong side of Donald Trump's 2024 version of the MAGA movement. And the election denial folks over at Charlie Kirk's TPUSA think they've found a solution in the form of attorney Harmeet Dillon. What does this mean for the future of the GOP? It means more Trump, whether we have Trump or not. It means more Trump or Trumpism without Trump. It means more of the 4chan troll variety of so-called politics. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it means that 2017 to January 6th style shitposting as debate is what we're going to keep doing going forward. New normal. Yeah. It, it, this is the new normal. This is it. It means that wasn't a blip. And I think it's obviously Trump changed everything and changed where we're going in the future. But yeah, I think the MAGA folks see Harmy Dillon as like a 4chan troll in a suit. Right. She participated in all these groups. Like she was co-chair of Lawyers for Trump and Women for Trump. I think we have to be careful because this woman likes to sue people. So right. <laughs> they were involved in the preparations for the day of January 6th and the events that occurred. I am not saying that she planned anything on that day, but did she plan some of the speaking engagements or the the people who were bused to the Capitol that day? Yes, I believe she did. And I believe she was part of this broader movement, which included Charlie Kirk and TPUSA, who, uh, <laughs> well... Our uh, our old friend Ali Alexander of Stop the Steel fame threw him under the bus the other day, didn't he? Ooh, yes. Quite epic throw under the bus. He, what was his quote? Something to the effect of, you should have just apologized to me, Charlie. Would have been cheaper. And he, he did a, the classic Ali move of, well, I've got, I, I haven't told the whole story and I've got more dirt. And maybe he has it. Who knows? These people definitely seem dirty enough. I'm really not surprised if that turns out to be true, because if it's one thing that... I've learned in this life, it's that there's just never a shortage of dirt to go around on a lot of these folks. And if you look at Harmeet Dillon's client list of people that she's represented, it's a rogues gallery. She's represented Project Veritas. She's represented Carrie Lake, Dan Scavino, Don Jr., Women for America First, Robbie Starbuck, Libs of TikTok, <laughs> Andy No, <laughs> Seb Gorka, The Daily Wire. She's got Ron Coleman as a partner at her firm. It's not hard to see why that end of MAGA would look at her and think, yeah, she'd be perfect. She is absolutely great for the job. I'm pretty sure Ron Coleman is running like the 
the 180 of of our podcast um ex- <laughs> except he's got guests on every week and it's like i don't know maybe it's just the people that tim pool doesn't want to have on <laughs> maybe it's <the> ones- <laughs> tim pool spillover <laughs> uh, maybe if you yeah. do well on ron coleman you can go on timcast irl someday yeah dare to dream and all that so she's she's all in this world. She's like you said, she's she's now taking credit for the January 6th committee. They revoked their subpoena against Trump because they're shutting down and right. Congress is about to transition to the new term. January 6th committee is shutting down. So, yeah, they can't subpoena Trump. We always knew that he wasn't going to come and they didn't really have any ability to force him to come but she's trump's lawyer this week i guess uh god he's had so many there have been so many cases and so many lawyers seriously and so many i wonder if he paid her because i mean he's not exactly known for doing that so i mean i wonder if she actually got paid or if they're just doing it for the the prestige of the gig at this point or Uh, yeah maybe it does make you famous in that little media sphere i don't know it's she's She's getting all this support from Charlie Kirk and she's Trump's lawyer and she just got to win. And, and now let's go make her the new speaker. It does feel rather manufactured. And, and let's be honest, she's probably not going to win and probably not going to, let's use a term that they would use, depose Rana McDaniel. Ooh, um, very, very, very good. Very good. <laughs> Come for the queen, you best not miss, right? Well, and part of the reason I think she might not end up winning is that she has, as she's put it, had a political evolution, which makes some of the Republicans nervous that she might actually be a rhino. Well, she used to be involved in the ACLU, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, and- she was. And she once wrote a campaign donation to Kamala Harris. Wow. Yes. Oh my God. I've seen her. I've seen her actually apologize for that on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) She she actually said, I'm sorry. Well, yeah. Okay. And at one point she made the statement. This is from SF gate in 2011. While the GOP's fiscal conservatism often resonates with voters, Dylan said, quote, our message is clouded by a bunch of other issues that are either controversial or not supported by the majority of voters. I think we shoot ourselves in the foot a lot. She has no interest in challenging the Roe versus Wade abortion ruling, believes government shouldn't be in the marriage business, and that same-sex couples should receive the same tax benefits as straight ones. She wants undocumented immigrants to get a pathway to citizenship. The war in Libya, she says, is unconstitutional. So in 2011, this was where she was at. And she said this more than one time. Now she's caught the Trumpism, as it were. And then, like, not saying she's an anti-vaxxer or anything, but... We wouldn't want to say anything no, definitively here. Let's not... No, we're not saying she's an anti-vaxxer, but... Just ask a question. We just, right. we can, you know... Can't sue me for asking a question. No, Please no, ask no. Away. And she just decided to shitpost a little bit when the beloved Sesame Street children's character Elmo got his <laughs> vaccine. <laughs> that son of a bitch. Um, she, her next tweet was, next episode, Elmo takes puberty blockers. Is this one oh. of those issues that voters don't really care about? Or is this... Did she, did she tweet that from Tucker Carlson's green room? I don't know. <laughs> 
That's a great question. <laughs> it's a, it's a like, really great have question. Have those up on the board and like, oh yeah, this is a really good tweet. You should go with it. Uh huh. Um, they workshop that. <laughs> Absolutely workshop that. Uh yeah uh-huh. yeah it really it really took off on 4chan and uh yeah yeah and seventeen hundred and eighty six likes on that one June twenty eighth twenty twenty two it's archived. I was looking through this and I and I saw something about Tim Pool endorsing. Harmy Dillon for the RNC chair. And it was, I, I, I looked at it and I was about to click on it. And then I realized it was from Gab and it was like a <laughs> trending <laughs> news story on Gab that the fake, the, the, I'm sorry, very real leftist, um, but not, not a Trump supporter, Tim pool is, why is he weighing in on the RNC chairwoman and uh, who should be in charge of the party if he's not a Republican? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really? I mean, I don't think we really have an opinion on which one of these two gets the job, to be honest. I don't like either one of them, but I think it's worth pointing out. Ronna McDaniel made so many excuses for Trump and defended him and fundraised for him and did all this stuff. It's it's not that she's good. It's just that they think they found someone better. This is Charlie Kirk's answer to why he did so poorly in the midterms. He set up shop in Arizona. They got some of the people at the state level out, replaced them with more MAGA candidates, election deniers, and they went all in for Carrie Lake. They got her this big platform and she got the Trump endorsement and they were supposed to carry her to victory and Carrie Lake lost. And then Blake Masters lost. And then Mark Fincham lost. They were supposed to do really well in Arizona and and they didn't. And Charlie Kirk spent a lot of money, spent a lot of time, talked up his operation and how, oh, Carrie Lake, next governor, definitely. And to her credit, uh, as it were, Carrie Lake still thinks she's going to be the next governor. <laughs> she's still <laughs> she's still out there. The Carrie Lake war room is still at war. Hang out of the dream, Carrie. <laughs> it's like... How have you not retired this this account? Well, the election is still ongoing. The donations must still be coming in. <laughs> she loses a lawsuit every day, but damn it, she's still fighting. Have you seen her uh, her latest no helper online? Oh, it's, Lord. it's the one uh, Tracy Beans, Tracy Diaz. Oh, Tracy Diaz, QAnon fame, right? QAnon lady, the QAnon lady who became he got some kind of small job in a small district in rural South Carolina. And then she took that. She went from QAnon to small political job in a rural area to Mike Flynn's best friend on Twitter. And she was all in on the election denial and and really pushed that hard right up to January 6th, which she then took no responsibility for. And she got banned from Twitter on January 8th, uh, right after insurrection. But she's back. Thank you, Elon. Of course. And now she's all in for the big lie for Carrie Lake. And Carrie Lake War Room is relying on the election. I don't know what election integrity expert. God knows what they're calling themselves. She's just a lady who (laughs) who posted about QAnon. And of course, now Mike Lindell, the pillow salesman, is also an election integrity expert. So words, words don't matter. I'm sure the cyber ninjas will be along any minute to try and sort this all out. Yep. Mm hmm. Well, 8chan doesn't really exist, so what are they going to do? What else right. do they have, really? So we've got Carrie Lake is still fighting the good fight out there, and Charlie Kirk's not really directly involved in that as much anymore. He's kind of moving on. 
he may have suffered a humiliating defeat and near complete failure in Arizona. But instead of taking a minute and being like, hmm, man, maybe my divisive candidates and support for people like Blake Masters, who are just weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a weird guy who I'm out in the desert shooting guns off. Vote for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe Charlie Kirk didn't take a minute and say, hmm, maybe our candidates were terrible. And he didn't think, well, maybe our rhetoric, maybe leaning all the way into election denial and not letting off the gas and, in fact, <laughs> hitting that gas to the floor and just going, going, going. Maybe that was the problem. No, he's decided that, yeah, I failed in Arizona, but the real problem, <laughs> the real the real issue is that I don't have more power and more control. And And Mitch McConnell didn't spend any money here because he didn't like our candidates. <laughs> so it's Mitch McConnell's fault. It's Ronda McDaniel's fault. They want to move the party back to the center. But the real problem is, is you're just not embracing the extreme. So Charlie maybe should spend a little less money on his fancy fireworks and gimmicks and all of his, his strobe lights and everything in his events. And maybe just look at polling. <laughs> but <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know. I thought the man had an, a moment of clarity on the night after the election when he says, were we in an echo chamber? Nah, we just didn't get enough money. We we should have spent more money on it. We'd have been those fine. those rhinos, man. The rhinos did it. The rhinos cost us everything. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the problem is the rhinos, and now Ronna McDaniel is a rhino, and she's she's the problem. So everyone go blame her because it's not our fault. Because it is very much a central theme of Trumpism that it is not their fault. Blame somebody else. There's always somebody to blame. And speaking of blaming, it seems that Steve Bannon and his friends, as it were, th their attacks against the deep state never really end. But now that the GOP is about to control the agenda in the House, these attacks have taken on a different form. And Bannon's not the only one on board with this. Everybody from Bannon to Seb Gorka to Cash Patel to Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy are giving strong indications that they're on board for a church committee 2.0. What was the original church committee? And what do we think the next version is going to look like? Well, the original church committee was set up in 1975. You think about that time period, Nixon had just been essentially run out of office and Ford is now president. The idea was that they were looking at supposed abuses by the CIA, by the intelligence community in the wake of Watergate. Yeah, had they gone too far. And if Nixon was spying on the Democratic Party and there was an attempted cover-up and he nearly got away with it, well, what else don't we know? And I think the public was willing to, to hear more of those stories and arguments there was it's kind of like you think about what happened with trump and russia was something that the left really didn't care about wasn't really concerned by and then trump gets elected and everyone starts looking and wow he's saying all this stuff that's really favorable to putin and the kremlin and his his advisors have all these these strange ties or or at least meetings or or there's this overlap with Russian officials and these contacts and some of them are reported and some of them are not. And then people start saying, well, what else is out there? Right. Well, I think, I think with Nixon, with Watergate, 
it did lead to concern and interest. And and one thing that popped up in 1974 was a story in the New York Times that said huge CIA operation reported in U.S. against anti-war forces, other dissidents in Nixon years. So there was an appetite for these kind of stories and, and the story in the New York Times singled out the CIA and it accused them of violating their charter. It said uh, they were accused of conducting a massive illegal domestic intelligence operation during the Nixon administration against the anti-war movement. That would be anti-war movement in opposition of, of Vietnam. Right. And other dissident groups in the United States, according to a well-placed government source, they had established intelligence files on at least 10,000 American citizens that were maintained by a special unit of the CIA that was reporting directly to Richard Helms, then director of the CIA, and now ambassador to Iran. So it, it goes on and on, and it really seemed to be the right story at the right time, and people wanted to know what they didn't know, and all of this sort of built and built, and eventually it led directly to this church committee getting formed, which looked into the abuses of our intelligence agencies. Right. And it did uncover some things, right? And there were problems and issues and things that we probably needed to talk about. Mm-hmm. There definitely were. I mean, this is where we found out about Operation MK Ultra. We found out about COINTELPRO. During this, you know, Family Jewels, which was a CIA program to covertly assassinate foreign leaders, Project Shamrock, the major telecommunications companies sharing their traffic with the NSA. It really did blow the lid off a lot of things people weren't aware that was going on at the time and made us have a conversation about how much of this we as a nation were willing to sign off on. How much of this we were actually okay with. And I think once you're an adult, you realize there's things you don't know. And maybe you even accept that there's some things you shouldn't know. But we also know there have to be limits. There has to be a point when it has to end or it's it goes too far. And I think it's worth putting the church committee and what the CIA was doing in the context of the Cold War, which I think you can say that, that what was happening in the U.S. was bad, needed to be uncovered and talked about, and it led to to real reform. It led to the formation of the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee, which is good and has been a helpful tool and oversight of intelligence agencies. So there are things that have been put in place that have made it harder for the IC and the FBI to get away with abuses of power, which is what they were, which is what were uncovered with the church committee. So I think I think we can say that. I think we can say that that it was the Cold War. And and you if you put it in the context of what the CIA was up against with the Soviets, with the KGB's liquidation of, of dissidents abroad and their disinformation operations abroad and their attempts to well, even talking about their their plans in case of war between NATO and the Warsaw Pact, they made plans to sabotage. Right, right. Which we've covered. Yeah. It's worth pointing out that there wasn't anybody in the Soviet Union asking these kinds of questions. The idea that there would have been a committee formed in the Politburo somehow to study the abuses of the KGB, of the Cheka, forget it. They still don't want to have that conversation to this day. So... No, 
No. And if we didn't have the Matrokin archive, we wouldn't know 95% of what we know about what the KGB was doing. We'd know as much about the KGB as we know about Gru and what Russian military intelligence was doing during the Cold War, which is almost nothing because... There is no Matrokin archive that has the secret information directly from the source because that that's the only way you were going to get it because they, they didn't talk about it. And if you talked about it, you you got disappeared. Mm-hmm. So you go out a window somewhere. Yeah, this is what makes us different than them. This is why we can have some degree of the moral high ground, even if we did a lot of the same things and we did a lot of bad things. I'm not saying that that those didn't occur during the cold war, but I am saying that it is fair to say what the Soviets were doing was worse and usually on several orders of magnitude worse. And you've heard of this stuff. You've heard of COINTELPRO. You've heard of project mockingbird. You've heard of MK ultra. Some of the stuff that got brought up. And the reason you've heard about it is because we had a free and democratic inquiry into these subjects. Yes. This is what the original church commission actually did. Yeah, and and like you said, <laughs> any attempts to carry out something similar in the Soviet Union would have been done by people we've never heard of, and they uncovered nothing because they were disappeared. Right. So we are different, and we should have these conversations, and we should be willing to admit when we make mistakes. But what this is, <laughs> what they're doing here, it's not the same thing. No. It is not about transparency. It is not about holding the IC and the FBI accountable or at least ensuring that they followed the law. It is finding reasons to rat fuck them. Right. Let's, let's just call it what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. And this is because they're not going to get an impeachment out of this. They don't have the numbers for that. So failing that, they're going to try everything they can to dirty up Joe Biden ahead of a 2024 race. And when you've got guys like Steve Bannon is all in for Church Committee 2.0, Cash Patel, mm-hmm. <laughs> Cash Patel, who's over there posting uh, QAnon memes on Truth Social, Trump's little loyal helper over there. Yeah, we need a Church Committee 2.0, says Cash Patel. <laughs> Okay, and and Darren Beatty of the Revolver News Network, a white nationalist convention attendee, fired from the Trump White House for his ties to white nationalists. I mean, how how bad do you have to be to be fired by the Trump White House for your ties to white nationalists? I mean, somehow Stephen Miller managed to keep his job. What did this guy do? <laughs> isn't isn't that a prereq? And yeah, by the I mean, end, I think stakes, it was, really. or at least. Yeah, like this. Uh, do you want my public resume or do you want my the real resume? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read V Dare every day, man. Uh-huh. I, uh, <laughs> Friends of Steve Saylor. <laughs> Peter Brimelow. I got some selfies with that guy. Oh, really? He was at the convention? I'm dumb. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. what are the odds that they actually get to do this? Because it seems like Steve Bannon's been beating this drum since 2018 at least. He's been using that language. He he has. He does know his history, doesn't mm-hmm. he? He does. He does. And he's been trying to meme this thing into existence for a number of years now. It's been four years since he started talking about it. And it looks like you know he's closer than he's been at any point in that time. Well, you got to admit, it's pretty close. You've got the Washington Examiner, which is, as far as MAGA or MAGA-adjacent media goes, pretty pretty respectable. Mm-hmm. But they, you've got them talking about this and saying, well, they've got a quote here from Jim Jordan, who we know Ooh. is going to be a big player 
old old, old Jim Jordan, J Y M Jordan. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. They got a quote uh, where he says, "We've been looking at a church style committee to look at this." And Kevin McCarthy, they've got a quote from him saying, "We've got to get to the very bottom." And I think just subpoenas are starting. But you're almost going to have a church-style investigation to reform the FBI the more that we are learning. This is in relation to the Twitter files, of course. Right. The startling revelations of the Twitter files have made it just – how can they not have have a church committee 2.0? The, the scandals that are being uncovered here. I think it's worth pointing out that in one respect, this is going to be very different than the church committee in that the church committee had a solid bipartisan makeup – Including famous lefties like Barry Goldwater. <laughs> That's, that may get lost on some people, but yeah. Barry Goldwater ran for president in 1964 against Lyndon Johnson, and Barry was very, very conservative for his time. He scared people. He wanted to nuke China. He did. Extremism <laughs> he did. <laughs> in the defense of liberty is no vice. That's a Barry Goldwater quote. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these, a lot of the old Republican operatives that were still around from Reagan that got their start were Barry Goldwater guys. Mm-hmm. That's where they, that's where they came from. The ones that are still, were still around and are still around. Yeah, that's a lot of their starting point was Barry Goldwater conservatism. But yeah, he was part of this. He was on board for this. You had John Tower. You had former Senator Howard Baker from Tennessee. None of these people were raging liberals. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you're not going to get an equivalent amount of Democrats on this commission. The people that are so adamant that this needs to occur are election deniers. They Mm -hmm. are pro-Kremlin propagandists. You've got Elon Musk quote-tweeting David Sachs calling for the church commission. Hear, hear! This whole manufactured nonsense from the Twitter files that, oh, the the deep state and the cover-ups and the... I'm sorry, I need to sound more excited, but I just <laughs> I just can't sell it. And it's, as I've seen several people point out, the whole thing with the Twitter files, if they had to actually write this in article form, it would be so obvious how much they are, they are reaching with these quote-unquote conclusions. But when you put it in this long thread... It looks more legitimate. Your brain interprets Twitter threads differently than, than an article you're going to read. And, and so all of these wild speculations form together differently in your mind. And you feel like if you want to see something, it's there. If you want to feel like there's a scandal there, convince people there's one, then it's easier to do it this way, which is the whole, it's the whole point. And and these people are, they love to say, and Trump loved to say, that there are many good people at the FBI. We respect the many good people at the FBI. But... Huh. And they say that shit. And it, it honestly, it just pisses me off. I, I, I have to admit it pisses me off. Because you have these actual threats against FBI agents that we, we talked about last week. We talked about an attempt to assassinate officers in the Knoxville field office. I mean, there have been several threats and several actual attempts to kill FBI agents. And these guys, these shit-posting propagandists want to say, well, we, we support the FBI, but... and No, you don't. 
No. They don't support the FBI. They hate the FBI. Steve Bannon's under indictment. Some of these guys are just criminals. Actually, he wasn't. He was convicted. Yeah. <laughs> He's also still got this case with the We Build the Wall, which <laughs> should be renamed We Don't Build the Wall. We steal your money. <laughs> we grift your wallet. <laughs> yeah. Some of these guys are, are just criminals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the FBI has investigated them, and they found something. <laughs> but no, we, we support the FBI. Uh, no, they don't. They don't support law enforcement. They know that their audience, I think, is one of those things where their audience has been told to back the blue and support the cops and all this for so long. So they know they can't just, they can't come out there and be a cab, right? They can't be all cops or bastards. No, no, they absolutely can't. But at the same time, they in a lot of cases personally have a lot against the FBI because the FBI is investigating a lot of these people. And as you said, they need to discredit those investigations as much as possible in the minds of their, their flock, their, their sheep, the people that they're, they're rinsing every day or two for, for money. And the way those donations keep coming in is if they believe that they're fighting the corruption inside of the FBI, what better way to, emphasize corruption than to bring up the specter of the time where a bipartisan group of senators got together and investigated all of this and found some things that really shouldn't have been happening. And let me let me read you this story. It's from it's Andrew Glass and Politico in 2017, but it's talking about the original church committee and talking about how it came about and how they had some pushback and how they then pushed forward anyway. And they, they made their discoveries. They talked about it. They released this information, but then it says after talking about how the church committee was beneficial and, and the good that it did. Right. And then he, he goes on at the end to say the investigative panel soon ran into resistance from president Gerald Ford Nixon's successor. Ford feared the probe would expose sensitive U.S. intelligence operations. He also believed Church was using the probe to jumpstart a 1976 presidential bid. The committee interviewed 800 people. It conducted 21 public hearings as well as 250 more that were held behind closed doors. At the first televised hearing, Church displayed a CIA poison dart gun to highlight the committee's discovery that the agency had directly violated a presidential order by maintaining stocks of shellfish toxins sufficient to kill thousands of people. The Senate investigation eventually sputtered. The assassination of a CIA station chief in Greece helped trigger a backlash against its work. The panel eventually issued a two-foot-thick report in May 1976 without the support of two of its key GOP members, huh. Tower and Arizona Center. Barry Goldwater. Barry Goldwater. Right. So history does not repeat, but it rhymes <laughs> because <laughs> they may have done some good and revealed some things that should have been revealed. And there were some changes made to the way our IC operates and then the oversight that occurs by Congress, which was good. But then there was a looming presidential bid. And then there was dissent in terms of what should be shared and what shouldn't. And when you think about 2024, and this is Trump's last shot, and he's going to take it, and 
in order to make it work, they are going to have to attack and discredit the intelligence community and the FBI at every turn. Because Trump might get indicted. He might get indicted for more than one thing. And this is as much about protecting him legally as it is helping him politically. And they know what they're doing. Right. This is definitely an intentional play on their part. And while it more than likely won't get any level of traction outside of the MAGA media sphere, it will dominate the MAGA media sphere for the next while if they get this thing running, because that's what it's intended to do. And some violence may very well occur, not as a direct result, but not not a result of this. And they don't care about that. They've been priming these people for violence against the FBI low key for a number of years. And it's been more prevalent in the last couple of years. At some point it's going to happen. Yeah. I don't like saying that at all. It shouldn't. No. People should not do this. And their only concern is that they are not personally liable for any of it. Mm -hmm. As long as they're not going to be held responsible for anything that happens, then they're fine. They'll sleep fine at night because that's the kind of people we're dealing with. Actions have consequences, just not for them. And speaking of actions have consequences, we as a society are dealing with some of those consequences right now of allowing anti-vaccine rhetoric to gain a foothold. Propagating anti-vax conspiracies has been a long-term goal of America's enemies, particularly Russia, and they're not the cause of this. We did this to ourselves. However, Russia certainly didn't help. Social media influencers just asking questions didn't help either. More recently, Elon Musk's Twitter 2.0, choosing to no longer enforce its COVID-19 misinformation policy, is only going to embolden these same people. What's it going to take for us as a society to do better and take this issue more seriously if the recurrence of measles and polio doesn't do it? What are we going to need to see? Well, I guess a few years ago, we might have said a pandemic might do it, but... <laughs> That that didn't take. How'd that turn out? Yeah. Well, I, I was looking through this and trying to get as much supporting evidence as I could find. But I, I think anecdotally, we remember the stories popping up more over the years and, and hearing about it more just in our daily lives. I know taking my kids to the doctor and I feel bad for the doctors because they have to kind of double check to make sure you're okay with vaccines now. They do. They do. And they know they can't come at it combatively or be in your face because if you are skeptical about vaccines well if if someone comes at you hard then you're probably going to end up being more skeptical and they they don't want that and i feel for them because they they just want kids that they see to get the shots that they need so they don't get sick and they have to deal with parents who probably spend too much time online and and believe people who just aren't telling the truth for clout or money or the same reasons all the people we talk about do things, right? It's the same grift. It's just a different form. So yeah, it's it's been coming up more. I saw this 2014 article in Time magazine where they're saying four diseases making a comeback thanks to anti-vaxxers. Mm -hmm. And those were measles, mumps, whooping cough, and chickenpox. And they talked in the article about, yeah, measles was considered wiped out in 2000. Mm -hmm. and Hardly any cases at all at that point. Yeah, it, it just wasn't much of a thing. I remember, I remember my grandparents talking some about knowing someone who had polio. 
when they were when they were a kid and it was just this sort of abstract idea for me my only i remember just those stories and thinking wow you knew people who yeah <laughs> who were alive when polio was around and my only real context was fdr and fdr right. had polio in a wheelchair and, as a result of polio because polio paralyzes limbs yes yeah they knew someone who had polio and that i think was enough for their generation to yes please give me a vaccine i'm 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 good mm-hmm. i don't want that just give me the shot. You can look up iron lung. Yeah. And see what people had to do in some cases in order to breathe as a result of yeah. this. This was a nasty disease. And we had this thing licked. And it was even enough, I think, for their kids. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you were the kids of someone who knew someone who had polio when they were young, it, that was enough to think, oh, man, that sounds horrific. Yeah. And you just didn't want it. But then enough time passed and that's we we forget as a species as a people we just forget and we get comfortable we do and we think oh it wouldn't happen to us and i'm quoting from cnbc article here when a young adult in a new york city suburb visited an emergency department in june after experiencing weakness in their lower legs the shocking diagnosis would lead local officials to declare a health emergency in New York and put authorities across the U.S. and around the world on a state of alert. The individual, a resident of Rockland County, had suffered from a fever, stiff neck, back, and abdominal pain, as well as constipation for five days. The patient was hospitalized and tested for enterovirus, which is a family of pathogens that, in rare cases, can cause weakness in the arms and the legs. New York State's Wadworth Center and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention would subsequently confirm the worst. The young adult was suffering from paralysis after contracting polio, the first known U.S. case in nearly a decade and the first in New York since 1990. The patient was unvaccinated. And this was something that we had wiped out. In the 1960s, we had a successful vaccination campaign. We vaccinated everyone. Because in the late 1940s, more than 35,000 people were paralyzed from this thing every year. But in 1955, Dr. Jonas Salk came up with a vaccine for this thing, and we beat it. By the 1960s, by the late 1960s, we were seeing 100 cases a year. And in 1979, we weren't seeing anything. And now, it's been circulating in the water in New York for the better part of a year, and people are starting to get it again. This is what we've come to. You look at this information, the Statista Research Department, the statistics on this is states with the lowest percentage of children receiving recommended immunizations in the U.S. as of 2021. The lowest state is Oregon at 65%. 65% of children are receiving their recommended immunizations in that state. Alaska, 66. Missouri, 69. The U.S. average now is 75.8. That's not good. No. You get to the point where you're looking at the numbers that Oregon has, and it's a matter of time before we start seeing it there again. I know we've talked about this, and I know you know this, but it's worth reminding everyone that there is a certain amount of the population that cannot receive their immunizations because of pre-existing health conditions that prevent them or sometimes it's it's a pre-existing condition from a disease or it's an allergy to the what's in the shot some amount of people are just not going to be able to get it and i know that'll vary 
depending on what the what shot we're talking about. But the idea with herd immunity is accepting that because that is just a fact of life. But as those numbers go down further and further, those children who have done nothing wrong, it is not their fault, they just can't receive the shot, are the ones at the greatest risk because they, in a lot of cases, they those pre-existing conditions have weakened their immune system or made them more susceptible to getting these same diseases. So they will suffer because... I think I think it's worth saying this gets everyone. It's not a an issue that is confined to one set of political beliefs or one set of religious beliefs. Or one class. No. It's, it's, sometimes it's middle class. Sometimes it's poor people. Sometimes it's educated. Sometimes it's uneducated. It. I know that the rates are going to vary, but it can hit every community. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it does have to do with being far too online, but I think there's also just that we think we're safe. We think, again, we just think it wouldn't happen to us or our kids, and that's not how it works. From the same article, New York has been struggling with dangerously low polio vaccination rates in some communities for years. In Rockland, where this showed up, the vaccination rate for children under age two dropped from 67% in 2020 to 60%. In 2022, according to the CDC, and in some areas of Rockland, only 37% of kids in this age group are up to date on their vaccine. That's almost getting into might as well not bother territory. If you're only vaccinating 37% of your population against anything, that's not going to help you. And if we're making that choice to blow out one of the greatest inventions, the polio vaccine was invented in 1955. It hasn't changed much since then. It's safe. This is not a vaccine that a lot of people have historically had problems with. And we obviously found a way to wipe out something that was making life extremely challenging for almost 50,000 people a year in this country, paralyzing people for life. And we just we haven't seen it recently enough that we're prepared to just give up on this. I mean, part of it's online. Part of it's the sort of skepticism that certain communities have had about this thing for a very long period of time. Some some evangelical groups are very skeptical about it. They feel yep. that, like, this is going against God. If you went and got this, it's because you didn't trust God enough. And that if you get this thing, God wanted you to get it. But you've also got, in Oregon, let's just be honest, a lot of hippies that <laughs> are on some, this is big corporation, big pharma, big medicine. Yeah, you don't, big pharma. You can't trust them. They're doing this to make money. That is that is the that that big pharma line has got a big audience on the right and the uh-huh. left. That is that is something they just talk up all the time, mm-hmm. and that was a big part of QAnon too. And it's one of those things where it was like another big part of QAnon was saving the children, and it's it, and that's how they draw you in when they say saving the children. We're gonna have a saving the children rally, and if you don't have any context, any idea what that is, well, yeah, let's help kids. Oh, this is about human trafficking and and kids. Well, let's protect them because there absolutely is human trafficking. Mm -hmm. It is a problem. It is an issue. And there are busts and raids all the time that are directly related to exploitation of children and in some cases adults. But it's, it's a problem and that's really bad. And so that's how they draw you in. And oh, yeah, big pharma. Well, the opioid epidemic. How many... I know people that have died in that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing you mm-hmm. do too. Most people do. Yeah. 
And big pharma or whatever you want to call them, did they play a role in that? Well, absolutely they did. And absolutely greed was involved. And the Sackler family, where where are they now? They just took their money and ran, right? They're still rich. They're absolutely still yeah. rich. I mean, they, they wrote yeah. a several billion dollar check to settle, settle their part in this when attorneys general from a number of states sued them for this. But they fled and they took as much money as they could offshore and- and they hired some fancy lawyers and they... They wrote it out. They're still rich. Yeah. And that that's bad. And that's a problem. And I, I get why people are drawn into these mm-hmm. things. Because human trafficking is bad. And Big Pharma does make too much money and does exploit too many people. And GoFundMe should not be our replacement healthcare system in this country, which in some cases it is. And Far too many. That's a problem. But you also have to say, yeah, they, they draw you into these movements and it starts with a legitimate argument, but it is a, a legitimate argument made by a dishonest actor who then draws you further into this anti-vaccine rhetoric where you start to question everything. The The problem is, once you start to question some of it, if you keep listening to these people, they're going to have you questioning settled science. Like like you said, the polio vaccine has been around for quite a while now. There is. It's not that I have these great big concerns with COVID and the COVID vaccine, and a lot of people said it was rushed and this and that, but I at least understood people's hesitation and concern because, yeah, it, it is brand new. And this is a pandemic and it came out of nowhere and this is a scary disease. And and did they take all the necessary precautions? I at least understand how a lot of people could have those questions and, and concerns and want them to be answered and want to be want to feel like their concerns were addressed in a meaningful way. Like they weren't just dismissed out of hand. Right. I, I get that. That's a natural thing for people to feel and want, but it, a vaccine that's been around for a hundred years, it's, and they haven't really changed much. We know how this affects people. We know that it's safe. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you get deep enough into this movement, they're going to have you start to question even that. So you, you lose all perspective. And I know the, the, the article that got us looking at this was the one in Ohio where, yeah, 82 children infected, 32 hospitalized. Most are unvaccinated. And, it's not like it's, oh, some isolated incident and oh, I just, it's so much worse than all the others. It's just, it's just once again mm-hmm. and it keeps happening and we keep reading about it and it keeps getting worse. And then you see, yeah, Twitter's not enforcing their COVID-19 misinformation policy. They had a strike policy that they eventually settled on in, in 2021. And I think it was after five posts of, of COVID misinfo, your account was permanently suspended. And that was, that's quite a bit of leeway. That's quite a bit of, yeah. of room. And we're not even doing that anymore. No, they can come on, they can say whatever they want now and no one's paying attention. And he's brought back Robert Malone and RFK Jr. back yet. <laughs> he is. Oh. <laughs> can, uh, yeah, yeah, he is, uh, hosting like a champ. He's a big, he's a big, uh, member of the anti-vax movement. The other one I was looking at was, was, was Peter McCullough, but yeah, RFK Jr. is, I mean, we, we briefly touched on Russia's involvement in perpetuating anti-vax rhetoric in the U.S. And I know, I mean, this was years and years ago that RFK Jr. was doing the rounds on RT and all these. He's a 
gone to Russia a few times that for some of their conferences, he has been a, he's been a big part of this and he's been kind of a bridge from moving it from the fringes to the more mainstream mm-hmm. talking points and, and pieces of our media that, that then cover it and give him airtime. So yeah, I think the issue is <laughs> even Facebook and Instagram have gotten rid of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> Twitter, they're back on Twitter, the town square. <laughs> Let's. So he can talk about how, you know, people who were caught up in the Holocaust had more personal freedom than anybody who was unvaccinated. I mean, he can, he can go around saying stuff like this, which, yeah, you know, with the way things are going on Twitter at this point is going to find an audience. Well, and it's not against any rules, at least not any that are being enforced and i feel pretty confident saying at this point if 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 they find a rule to hit him with at this point then i'm pretty sure elon will uh, do away with it retroactively because that's that's what we're dealing with here <laughs> yeah it's just going through his profile and it's rfk jr it's attacking fauci it's oh yep nine times increased rate of myocarditis after mrna booster ah. uh-huh yeah, they love they love to talk about the vaccine and how bad the vaccine is for you. They never like to talk about the actual side effects from COVID-19. We've gotten to the point where they've stopped having any consequence for this kind of rhetoric at all. They aren't even getting kicked off of Twitter anymore. And plenty of these people that have been brought back and have then verified their accounts, mm-hmm. they're now official. It's insane. It's it's really insane that we we're letting this happen, that we are going to essentially flush something that's been one of the greatest benefits in the last century as a result of misinformation. That's what we're doing here. Let's make no bones about that. Yeah, we're just throwing it away mm-hmm. for reasons. I think with anti-vax rhetoric and the effects of it. I think it is easier for people who want to frame this and, oh, it's just free speech. And, oh, they don't mean free speech because they just want freedom to, to lie and have no consequences. But right. they, oh, well, we're just, we're just talking. We're just asking questions. And these numbers on the amount of people that are getting their kids immunized, the amount of people getting their kids immunized, they keep going down. And it is a slow burn. It is not something that happens quickly or suddenly. It's really, we're talking about convincing one person at a time. And it's like growing any platform. You convince one person who convinces another person who you, you just keep going on down the line. And I don't know what the answer is, but the more this rhetoric gets airtime, the more the audience for it grows, the more that people are are drawn into the loudest voices in the anti-vax movement by stuff like saving the children and big pharma is bad. And then six months later, they're into QAnon or they're, they're Mm -hmm. refusing to get their kids any shots, which is an extreme case, but it does happen. But there are a lot of people that are, that are in between that. I knew I had a friend who said he still supported vaccines, but we just don't want him to get it all at once. We just, we just want them to space it out a little bit and it starts there, but it it doesn't end there. No. And I think it's easy to not prioritize this because it's not going to change overnight. 
it's going to change one year at a time. Next year, it's going to be three people getting polio and it's going to be in different areas and it's going to slowly spread. We're going to be told, no, it's not this. It's not what it looks like it is. We're going to hear the same kind of denialism that we hear with COVID, with the measles outbreak in Ohio that we're dealing with now. And it's going to creep up on us again. Yeah. And it's avoidable Mm -hmm. and it, shouldn't happen and man we gotta find some more uplifting segments to do. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> we don't live in a very uplifting space but i do feel like i don't know for you and me part of the reason we're doing this and part of the reason i think you're out there listening is because you see this and it's maddening and you want it to stop but you don't know how and we don't know either but i think we have to be honest about what's happening and we have to understand it ourselves and try to help you understand it and try together to make sense of it and figure out how we do something about it because they're going to gaslight you. They're going to tell you, oh, this isn't happening or you just hate free speech or you're totalitarian, deep state thinker, whatever insult they're going to come up with. But the numbers are in and, and the trend is happening and children are going to suffer and die because of terrible people on the internet who say terrible things and keep getting away with it. We'd really rather that didn't happen. And while we may not be able to do much, we can do our best to explain these things to you and try to cut through a lot of that. Try to be honest brokers, as it were, when it comes to these kinds of issues. And as an honest broker, or at least trying to be one, the idea of not vaccinating your kids going forward is just not going to lead anywhere good. If you're listening out there and you agree with us and you feel the same way, you're not alone and you're not crazy. And this is happening. Mm -hmm. And eventually we are going to figure out how to do something about it. But just know that, yeah, this is insane, but this is our new normal that we're, trying to come to terms with and come to grips with and hopefully we can figure it out together indeed thanks for listening to the did nothing wrong podcast if you want to hear more you can go to did nothing wrong you can also follow us on twitter at james the word four and the letter m all one word and grizza bjj grza bjj as well as DNW Pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.